This is Quotations, a podcast about words, written and spoken throughout history. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, we shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. No matter where you're from, your dreams are valid. The Pale Blue Dot, the only home we've ever known. Hello and welcome to Quotations. I'm Matthew Monroe. Here's today's quote. Dust if you must, but wouldn't it be better to paint a picture or write a letter, bake a cake or plant a seed, ponder the difference between want and need? Dust if you must, but there's not much time with rivers to swim and mountains to climb, music to hear and books to read, friends to cherish and life to lead. Dust if you must, but the world's out there with the sun in your eyes and the wind in your hair, a flutter of snow, a shower of rain. This day will not come around again. Dust if you must, but bear in mind, old age will come and it's not kind. And when you go, and go you must, you yourself will make more dust. That poem is written by a poet that you may have heard of, but I wouldn't be surprised if you hadn't. Her name is Rose Milligan. You may also have recognized the reader of that poem for today. That is my good friend Kenny Brown. Kenny was actually on the podcast way, way back to discuss another wonderful excerpt from the film Chariots of Fire. That episode was episode 41. If you care to give it a listen later, feel free to cue it up and listen to it right on the heels of this one, if you so choose. It was a wonderful interview, and I very much enjoyed it. There's not a lot out there about Rose Milligan. Um, She was born in Yorkshire, England, and that's really all that there is to know about her um, that's easy to find. You can look up her bio online. It's very brief. But her poem is wonderful, and that's what we're here to discuss. So I want to get to that, but... It's actually quite interesting to imagine that wonderful words like this don't always come from presidents and accomplished authors and other big names who have full Wikipedia pages with a fan base that keeps that up to date. They're not on IMDb or they're not on a university website or on any other place where you would normally find detailed biographies of people. But instead, some of my favorite quotes that we've done on this show come from And I don't mean this the wrong way, so Rose, if you're listening, please don't take this personally, but from relative obscurity. There's been a number of quotes, and you can go back through the archive and find some of those, and there'll be names that you don't recognize right offhand. So I'm grateful to Rose for having penned this, because it's a great poem. And how I came about this poem myself was actually directly from Kenny, which is why I asked him to record the reading of it for this episode. If you recall, Kenny is a sailor. And I'm sad to report he recently lost a close friend from his time in service. I won't go into the details, but suffice it to say that despite our profession of arms and its ever-closeness to death, which we discussed a little bit last week, it is never an easy thing with which to deal. Especially when, in Kenny's words, and he said this to me, that this was potentially his best friend in the Navy. And that's saying something. Veterans, as I talked about a little bit last week, go through a lot. And we develop very close bonds with the people that we spend time in the service with and around. 
There's a closeness and a kinship that comes from that. But Kenny lost this friend and was asked to deliver the eulogy at her funeral, and this poem was part of his remarks. And it is for this reason that I knew I had to explore it. And I hope I do the poem and your friend justice with this episode, Kenny. So we shall do as we always do and explore this poem via six leading questions. These six questions, if you've listened to these explications before, come from an old explication guide that used to be posted on the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill's website. And I use it as a guide book, so to speak, to do these amateurish explications. The questions that UNC Chapel Hill's Writing Center advised young explicators, I'm making up words here, to use are, one, what is being dramatized? Two, who is the speaker? Three, what happens in the poem? Four, when does the action occur? Five, where is the speaker? And six, why does the speaker feel compelled to speak at this moment? Now, if you care to, feel free to write those questions down for yourself and use them as you explore poetry. And honestly, it's not just for poetry. You can use this to examine movies and other books and even articles. They're basically a guidebook for how to look at the things that surround and make up the poem so that you can achieve a deeper understanding of its contents. So it's a very useful guide, whether it be for poetry or any other um, thing that you desire to explore. So with those in mind, here's the poem once more, and then we'll go into them and explore them. Dust if you must, but wouldn't it be better to paint a picture or write a letter? Bake a cake or plant a seed? Ponder the difference between want and need? Dust if you must, but there's not much time with rivers to swim and mountains to climb. Music to hear and books to read, friends to cherish and life to lead. Dust if you must, but the world's out there with the sun in your eyes and the wind in your hair. A flutter of snow, a shower of rain. This day will not come around again. Dust if you must, but bear in mind, old age will come and it's not kind. And when you go, and go you must, you yourself will make more dust. And as I said, I very much enjoy this poem. So let's take a look at the first question, which is, what is being dramatized? Well, it's pretty straightforward. The answer is dust. And honestly, when I first read this poem, when Kenny first sent this to me and I read it, I was a bit confused. I didn't totally understand the poem, and perhaps I still don't. But a lot of that stemmed, I think, from the fact that as I've read it and reread it, I've taken on a much deeper understanding of what is being portrayed here. Or at least my, my interpretation of it. Which, again, could be a little bit off the mark. So if it is, and you're a professional and you do this for a living, I apologize. But dust in this poem, not to be pithy, is used in multiple ways, at least as I interpret it. Dust as in the act of dusting itself, as one would do with furniture. There's also dust as a metaphor for, say, surface-level things, surface-level actions, surface-level behaviors. And also dust as the final part of the decomposition after death. And all of that is done in just 16 lines. 
And the dust as a part of death thing should sound familiar to a lot of people. It is a pretty well-known idea that we all return to dust upon, upon our death, right? It's a little bit morbid, but that's a generally accepted analog. And so to answer the question of what is being dramatized a little bit more directly, broadly, it's life, right? It's how we spend our lives, how we spend our time. The acknowledgement that time is fleeting and that time is also fickle and cruel and ends the same for all of us with us returning to dust. Nobody escapes that. We all know this. And how we spend that time is really what matters. Now, who is the speaker? That's the second question. The speaker is, as is often the case in poems, unidentified. But, as I interpret it, I interpret it to be the author herself. This is Rose Milligan potentially talking to us, the singular you that she refers to in the poem, when she says that we will return to dust ourselves. So this is Rose talking to us. This is a revelation that Rose has had. This is her, the author, the speaker, passing along knowledge to people, passing along understanding, asking probing questions, making statements that ideally affect change in the reader. So in this case, put simply, the author is speaking directly to us, the readers. The next question is, what happens in the poem? The word dust is used five times in the poem, and four of them are repetitions at the beginning of each stanza. As I mentioned, the poem is 16 lines broken into four four-line stanzas. At the beginning of each stanza is the same line. And one thing that I noticed as I read through this multiple times, and a lot of poets do this, but there's a progression as the poem goes along. There's a progression in this case of urgency as the poem proceeds. Each stanza is a bit more urgent than the last. The first stanza has this broad theme of what we could be doing with our time. Right? We could dust if we, if we must, but we could also paint or write or bake, etc. And the second stanza reminds us of the urgency of time to do all of those things and more things. The third brings about the harsh reality of time lost never to be recovered. We know that. If you've ever sat around and looked at the clock and realized hours have passed by, you won't get those hours back. You can't. So there's a, an implicit encouragement there to use your time wisely. And the last reminds us of the inevitable end of time, the end of a life, sometimes cruelly short as life can be, that awaits all of us. And additionally, the, the speaker cautions us to consider how best to spend our unknown but limited quantity of time. In its most basic, I read this as, sure, go ahead and spend time dusting your stuff, but wouldn't you rather spend time doing things you love and will remember? That's how I interpret this poem, in a nutshell. And as I often joke about trivial things, dusting is certainly one of them for me if you've ever been to my house. No one ever gets to the end of their life and says, man, I had a really good run, but I wish I would have dusted more. And you can say that about any number of things, but that's sort of how I see this poem. And that's sort of how I see the message that Milligan is trying to pass along to us. That you can waste your life on trivial things, or you can choose to do things of substance, things of importance, things worth remembering, things worth passing along, things that other people will remember. That is a life well lived. But 
as she says, dust if you must. Now, when does the action occur? That's the next question, number four. Proverbially, all the time. Every moment, all the time. Everything that we do is a choice in how we spend time. The fact that I am standing in my guest room closet recording this podcast for you is a choice that I make to invest time in this medium to pass this along to you. I could do something else. I choose to do this. And this is a life lesson. It applies to us wherever we are, in whatever stage of life we're in, and no matter how old or young we happen to be. You can't control what you chose to do with your time in the past, but even if you are knocking on death's door at the end of your life, you can still choose how you spend the remainder of your time. It is, in that sense, then, universal. That is when the action occurs. All the time, everywhere, for everyone. The next question is, where is the speaker? Well, the speaker in this case is nowhere in particular. This is kind of a difficult question. This is the one that I probably struggle with the most of any poetry reading that I do, is where is the speaker? That's a pretty broad question. If there was one that maybe, I would argue, could be swapped out on this list, it would be this one. I don't know what other question I would ask, but this one's always difficult. But perhaps this is a speaker that is a wise relative or maybe a trusted advisor who sees our life through the transparent walls that we have built around us and knows how we spend our days. Just imagine somebody that can stand outside your home and see when you sit down and click through TV for four, five, six hours in an evening before going to bed and just shake their head and go, dust if you must, but you could be doing so much more that's productive. So perhaps that's who it is. Perhaps it's somebody that knows how we waste our time with this or that or whatever happens to be stealing our attention at any given time, and they're trying to save us from ourselves. In a sense, wouldn't it be better to avoid prettying up things people will almost certainly never see? Focusing on superficial things and unimportant things at the cost of so many other things. And all of that to meet, in the end, the same return to dust as you would have had you spent your time wisely. Had you made the most of life, had you captured and wrung it out for every drop of enjoyment and wonder. The speaker, therefore, I suppose is in all of us. And lastly, why does the speaker feel compelled to speak at this moment? Well, the sooner the speaker speaks, the sooner the message can be heard and our lives can be changed. We talk about this a lot on this show, but once I bring the words to you, once they've been revealed to you, once they've been interpreted, at least through my eyes, and hopefully then you think about them through your own eyes, once you've done that, you never have to lose those words again. You can't unhear this poem that Kenny has read for us twice now in this episode. You have the information. We can take the cautions that the speaker gives us right now, right here, and never, ever, ever be the same again. And that's arguably what we should do. But that's our choice. That is what I take from this, from these words read by a friend for a friend on the occasion of their death. May we live our lives outside the superficial, foregoing concerns over trivial matters of no consequence, and in focus instead on the maximum richness and joy that we can experience in our lives. This is especially applicable as we go into the holiday season. There's a lot of trivial, mundane, boring, and inconsequential things happening in the world right now. 
There are many things that are not that, but there are many that are, and there always will be. But as we enter the holiday season, which for some people is a very challenging time, may we take a moment to remember the richness and joy in both memories and happiness that can come from times like this, if we so choose to focus on them. In doing so, we honor both ourselves and those who have gone before us. So as we leave today's episode, consider that. Consider focusing on the richness and joy, as opposed to the trivial, inconsequential matters that surround us all the time. The minutia, if you will. Until next time, I'm Matthew Monroe. This is Quotations, and thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please subscribe in your favorite podcast app, or visit me at quotationspod.com to download and listen. Please also take a moment to recommend the podcast to a friend. That's a huge help. You can tweet at me at quotationspod. Send me an email to quotationspod at gmail.com. Find me on Instagram at quotationspod or join the conversation on Facebook at quotationspod. I look forward to hearing from you. Welcome your feedback. And thanks as always for listening.